that I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. All right, praise the Lord, everybody. This is Brother Frank, and back with another episode of The Remnant Call. I wanted to say to everyone who tried to tune in last week, I am sorry. That is, I was trying to remember back. I, I Maybe when I very first started, the first few episodes, but I, I don't believe I've missed an episode since this show has ever started. But sometimes you just got to get away. And last week, went on a canoeing trip with some of my friends, and I was just stressed out. And you know what? With everything with work, it just had to let it go. So I apologize to those who are looking forward to listening, and uh, we'll make sure next time I do a better job at planning ahead. But I wanted to say thank you, Heavenly Father, because I felt so much better after getting away, and uh, I'm realizing the power of getting away often. And um, it just does something to the soul because if we stay engaged in this mess constantly without finding some alone time, some downtime, uh, some time with God, some time with our, you know, I was blessed because my friends and their sons and one of their daughters, young daughters with us, with us all believers and not just believers, passerbys, but we actually believe that Jesus is coming again soon. So I thank the Lord for that. And uh, we are back. We are in full swing tonight. And I'm excited because Brother David Murray is back with us this evening. And we are starting a series here. Um, it'll be over the next period. Um, uh, maybe not every single week in a row, but we will have them every week or other or so like that. But it's going to be a season on deeper communion. I'm going to, uh, 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 excuse me, a series on it. Um, and tonight's going to be the first episode and it's titled a season to heal and to know him. It's part of the deeper communion series. I'm looking forward to it. I'm not going to waste time any longer. I'm going to bring David Murray onto the show. David, are you here with us? I am here, brother Frank. How are you? Uh, brother, your voice is, um, you know, it's like Paul wanting to see Titus or Silas or, or Paul seeing just his friends. And, you know, and I, I just I feel like, you know, we can't see in person, but I can hear your voice and it's a good feeling. And I just thank God for your friendship, brother. Frank, it is so mutual. And I am I am just so blessed. It is such a blessing and an honor to uh, to be able to come on to your program, to be able to spend some time with the body of Christ that gathers around your broadcast and um, just be able to bring some things that I hope will be a blessing. So thank you as always for, for inviting me on, for having me here. And I'm excited to, to begin this deeper communion series. So thank you. Amen. And we're not going to, we're not going to mess around. We're going to get into this. Um, but David, I just wanted to mention a, a few things um, first to our, to our listening audience. 
Um, folks, you may not have uh, seen David. You know, usually you can catch him on the internet. He also had been taking a little bit of a of a uh, break, but he is back in full force also. So you will be able to pick up some more of his shows if you've been list- looking for them uh, lately. But um, besides that, I wanted to say one thing I forgot about before we get into this, and, and I feel it's important because, you know, in the Remnant Call, we don't ask money. We don't put up any donation buttons. We don't do any of that stuff. We are here because we feel called by the Lord and we support the show. Um, I have good friends, but, you know, there I just feel I wanted to remember to say, and I almost forgot, thank you to those who do my friends and those who do support this show. Uh, the folks do not ever take that as I'm asking for anything. I'm not, but I do want to say thank you so much for those that have. And so Dave, I'm going to ask if you could just open up tonight's uh, show with a word of prayer and ask our heavenly father just to bless this show tonight. Amen. Thanks Frank. <clears throat> heavenly father, I, I just speak the power your kingdom over the hearts and minds, over the spirit and souls of the body of Christ that is gathering, whether it's live or whether they are listening afterwards. Father, we know that you are the God who lives outside of time. And so you don't confirm man, you confirm your word. And Father, I thank you that your word is flawless, working through flawed vessels. And so, Father, I give this time to you. I thank you for your word not returning void, Lord God. I thank you for your word ministering to the brothers and sisters that have a hunger and a desire to know you and to seek you and to seek the fullness of what the new covenant above all covenants has given us, that no other time in history we have been reconciled back to your heart, reconciled back to your throne room, Father God, through the blood of Jesus Christ. I thank you for these words going forth ministering and watering the spirit, soul, and body of the church tonight, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, David, uh, kicking off here, I feel like we are living in such a time where believers feel so trapped, many, in their walk. I get the emails, I get the, you know, you hear the pleas, the cries for help. Um, this feeling sometimes of, I can't get close to God, or... Maybe I've done too much wrong. I'm I'm too filthy. I, I can't really come fully to God. And, and and I know, and you know that's a lie from the enemy, but I feel that's what's permeating the body of belief, especially with the remnant, the end time, those who are watching what's going on. And there's such a knowledge of what's going on in politics and in the world, but in the body of Christ, there seems to be such a void of actual intimacy with the Lord and this feeling of, wait a second, I really, truly have a close walk with my Heavenly Father. David, take us down that journey tonight on what the Lord's been laying on your heart, uh, because this is what I feel is a very important, I feel it for myself at times. How can I get closer to the Lord? So please, take us wherever the Lord is leading you. Amen. Thanks, Frank. I'd be honored. And you hit the nail on the head. Uh, This whole purpose of this season, I took about three months off um, to really get alone with the Lord and to really seek the Lord for what he is desiring to impart to the body of Christ in this season. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm really going to try not to rabbit trail, you know, barring the Holy Spirit taking us to different places, but we'll talk about more about other things as, as we continue on, on this communion series. 
But just as an introduction, what we're going to talk tonight about is what is intimacy and how do we develop it. But the, what I really want to get into the preface for that is what we need to understand if we study the Word of God, and particularly if we study the New Covenant. The, covenant, the New Covenant is defined with, at the day of Pentecost when every saint, when everyone who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, having fulfilled the promises of every other covenant from the garden straight through to his death, burial, and resurrection. And every child of God that, that has accepted that receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. No other covenant, and there were seven major covenants. We tend to a lot of times, we, we, most of us, if we think about the covenants, we, we talk about the Mosaic covenant, the law. But there were seven covenants um, aside from the new covenant, and they all progressively pointed to the time that we now live in, the time for the past 2,000 years where we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We are in the best covenant and the fulfillment of Father's heart. And the fulfillment of his heart was to reconcile us so that we can enter into great intimacy with him. And the confusion that you touched upon, Frank, one of the reasons why the body of Christ is so struggling, and this is particularly what the Lord has been speaking to me about these last couple of months when I got away with him, is that the church has lost the ability to discern the times and seasons of the Lord. And when we begin to lose understanding, when the body of Christ stops functioning the way the blueprint was given to us to function, when we cease fellowshipping, not as rule, because it's never meant to be a law, we, we you know, put aside all the ways in which scriptures have been abused to club us, there is a blessing and a um, empowerment that takes place as the body of Christ functions the way we're designed to function. And we live in a time where no matter where we're fellowshipping, whether it's in someone's uh, home in a living room or whether it's in a more traditional church building, whatever it is, one of the, the aspects of the body of Christ that we were never meant to lose, that we have lost in this generation, is understanding and discerning the seasons of the Lord. And the season that we're in is we're entering into what Father God is doing. Um, and I saw this across um, globally in this generation, but predominantly the Lord usually speaks to me about the United States. That seems to be, for the most part, um, the, the greater scope of, of how he, what he shares with me and how I'm to pray and intercede and, and encourage the body of Christ and teach. And what he's doing in the body of Christ in this hour is he's inviting the church of the living God to get to know him. Now, when I say to get to know him, I'm, I'm not talking about that we've been invited to something that no other generation has been invited into. That's not the case. He, did, he, he sent his son to restore right relationship, and in that right relationship becomes the doorway to intimacy. But particularly right now, one of the things that's on Father's heart that I believe with all my spirit is he's inviting the body of Christ to get to know him, to begin preparing the body of Christ to walk as mature believers that understand his heart, understand what he's thinking, understand his desire and his will, and then we begin to move the way Jesus moved on the earth. Amen. And the process, in order for us to do that, in order for us to know him, uh, there's really two steps. It, it's, we develop intimacy and understanding how we develop intimacy 
brings us into healing. We can't have healing without intimacy, and we cannot develop intimacy without getting healed of wounds. They go hand in hand. It's the process of getting to commune in deeper, deeper revelations of his nature. And so, you know, that's the introduction. That's really one of the foundation I want to set is that in the body of Christ, we need to discern seasons. The confusion that takes place is because a lot of times we share or we view things, or as you said, we have a knowledge of the political or of the carnal realm. We have a constant input through our five physical senses, but the church is losing the ability to discern uh, the five spiritual senses. And we are meant to discern through communion, through intimacy, and by understanding through our intimacy with the Lord, we then filter the events taking place from the spiritual realities. It's never meant to be the other way around. We do not try to perceive what God is doing by looking through the input of our five physical senses. That's backwards. That's called a carnal-minded Christian. And so what God is inviting us into in this season is to begin truly developing the process of walking in the spirit, perceiving his heart, perceiving his mind, his will, his intention. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to use the word prophecy, and I'm probably not going to mention it again tonight. And the reason why is it's going to be a foundation for what we're talking about and the things to come over the, the next several weeks. Guys, prophecy, the word prophecy, the simplest Greek definition of prophecy as used in Scripture is defined as Father's heart, mind, and intention revealed. Guys, if we can remember that truth, if we can understand the word prophecy mm -hmm. or to prophesy means to reveal or share the heart of, of Father, his mind and his intention, it would save us a lot of grief and error and confusion. That's why the scriptures say, Paul said, I desire you may all prophesy. You may all encourage and exhort and point the way to the throne room because we all have the ability to know what is on Father's mind, heart, and his intention through the maturing process, through intimacy. So uh, let's start off with that word, intimacy. What is intimacy? What does that mean? Uh, Webster's definition, uh, which will serve for us for where we see that in, in the Bible, uh, is the definition of intimacy is a close familiarity or friendship. It means a closeness. To understand intimacy, we need to look at how Jesus walked with the Father. And that's one of the things that without getting off into too much, that again, talking about what we've lost sight of, we have begun, much of the body of Christ has begun to lose sight of the fact that the nature of Father God was revealed in the earth ministry of Jesus. The scriptures make it very clear that the Father, that the Father's image is expressed perfectly through the earth walk of his Son. That's why Jesus spent three-plus years on the earth. He could have immediately died and resurrected from the dead. He didn't have to spend three years sharing about the Father. And the way he did it is his earth walk reflected the perfect nature of our Father. So 
So if we ever begin to lose our way, if we ever begin to kind of lose sight of, of intimacy and what's meant to look like, we turn to the Gospels. The Gospels must be the foundation in which all Scripture is filtered through, not the other way around. We do not, rule number one in Bible interpretation is the Bible's progressive revelation. It culminates with the perfect image of the Father expressed through Jesus. So that's the beginning of understanding what intimacy looks like, is we look at how Jesus walked on this earth and how he related to the Father. A couple of scriptures. John 10, 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Matthew 4, 4 says, Jesus answered, It is written. This is when the devil was, was daring to quote scripture to Jesus. And Jesus answered him and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This demonstration is Jesus answering Satan and saying, I live out of every word that proceeds from the mouth of my Father. That is to be how we live. We live based upon the daily communion and intimacy with our Lord. Uh, John 5, 9. It's one of my favorite verses in relation to talking about intimacy. Jesus gave them this answer, now talking to the Pharisees, the legalists. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. So, guys, I want to invite you, just as we're beginning to talk about intimacy, to picture that every act of compassion, every act of healing, Every tender word, every one, Jesus says, I came not for the healthy, but for the sick. Every person that was steeped in sin, the very thing that God detests because it's a violation of his perfect holiness and love, it was in the midst of people completely covered and estranged to God by their sin that the will of the Father was manifested in Jesus. Jesus only did what he saw his father's heart doing from heaven. So one of the things we need to look at that is to bridge our identity issues with our heavenly father. If you want to know who father God is, we look to Jesus. We begin to look to his love, his compassion, that he died for us while we hated him. And what we need to remember is God is not schizophrenic. He did not love us while we hated him. Right? Colossians 1.19 says, while we were enemies of God, he died for us. He sent his son to die for us. He, he did not start from loving us so much despite the fact that we hated him. But now as children of God, he no longer loves us. Right? That's, that's, it's unbiblical. That's a, we, we do not serve a schizophrenic heavenly father. The scriptures say nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing the issues are on our end. We're meant to walk the way Jesus walked with the Father. And guys, when I say this, this is not about works. This is not about outward appearance. Remember, please, when we lose sight of that, the Pharisees did everything outwardly right. The deception in this generation is that we are attempting in our own lack of understanding, to try to outwardly please the Lord the same way the Pharisees thought they were pleasing God. The Pharisees were convinced Jesus had a demon. 
they were not realizing they were contending with God any more than Paul did when Jesus revealed himself and said, Paul, it's hard to kick against me. It is hard to kick against the goads. If you ever look that up, what Jesus is saying is when, uh, when you would take a new oxen and you would yoke them onto a field, the, the ox or the, um, the bull would kick back up against the person holding the yoke reins. And so what they did is they had a board in front of them, and on the board there were spikes facing out toward that oxen. And so when the oxen would rebel and kick back against his yoke, the spikes would hit him, and it would be very painful. And that's the image that Jesus gave to Paul, who understood that very well in the times. But Paul didn't know it. And in the same way today, what Father is inviting us to is to begin to shake off the outward thinking that we need to please God through works, that we need to prepare his coming by trying to clean up the outer bowl, by trying to whitewash the tombs of our hurt and our pains. What has always been number one on Father God's heart, our heavenly dad, and on Jesus and Holy Spirit's heart is intimacy. He loves you fully. You're deeply, deeply loved. You have been made the righteousness of Christ. You are holy and blameless, Colossians 1.21 says. The process we need is to begin to embrace that. And as we embrace that, the outward things begin to flow. This is, this is normal Christianity. Our spiritual birthright, when we were baptized into the Lord's death and his resurrection, is we died to the God of this world. Read Romans chapter 6 and read Romans chapter 8. We died to the God of this world. We were raised up a new creation. Now we are to learn to live out of the joy and the fullness of the love that was placed inside of us through the indwelling presence of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is within us, and all we have to do is begin to submit our thinking to the reality of the Holy Spirit that's living in us. So, how do we develop intimacy? How do we go about the process of beginning to live the way Jesus lived on the earth. And now I'm not talking about the works Jesus did. We're not, well, I'll get into that. Um, there's two ways that we develop intimacy. One is through communion, and the second is through healing. These are the two legs, the two key components that develop intimacy. Number one is daily communion. Philippians 3.20 and Ephesians 2.6 talk about the fact that we have been made citizens of heaven not future tense, past tense, living right now in the reality of it. The second we accepted Christ was the atonement for our sins, we were made righteous. We were gifted with righteousness. And the byproduct is we've been reconciled. We have salvation. We can't say we have salvation without understanding salvation is the byproduct. The church is scrambling in anticipation of his return, trying to become righteous, so that we don't lose our salvation. And that's false doctrine. We have been made righteous through the gift of Jesus' atonement. And because of that, we are saved. We were then granted citizenship. The Holy Spirit is in us. The kingdom of God is in us. 
and we're to live out of the reality of our citizenship in heaven. So some of us may wonder, <laughs> David, what does it even look like? What does living in the kingdom even mean? And this is going to go to touch upon what I was going to touch upon with Jesus' earth ministry. Is living in the kingdom meaning is it about works? Is it about manifestations of the spirit? Is it moving in the gifts of the spirit? Is it living a holy life? Is it winning souls to Christ? Is our, is our focus, uh, is living in the kingdom meaning to our focus should not be on sinning? Guys, the answer is no to all those things. What we described, fulfilling the Great Commission, not sinning, living a life that's holy. Now, what are holy, guys, means to be in the same nature of God, right? It's a byproduct of intimacy. We cannot attain true holiness without intimacy. We can be like the Pharisees and try to do things outwardly perfect, but there's no communion in that. It's dead works. It's religion. It's not about how much we, we move in the gifts of the Spirit. The, the letter to the Corinthians made it very clear. They moved in all of the gifts more than any other church fellowship. Yet Paul called them carnal because their minds were not renewed in their citizenship. All of these things are, are fruits. They are byproducts that take place when we get to know him. We spend time with God, and this is how we get to know him. Now, Jesus is our, is our highest example. He is, he is our blueprint. But Paul, who did a pretty good job, wasn't, wasn't perfect, but Paul in Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And it's, not a, it's not a scripture that's quoted too much. We think, well, Paul, gee, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Uh, he was translated to heaven. Uh, he had the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's the, he's the cornerstone of, of understanding righteousness and the gift that was given to us. Yet Paul says, I want to know Christ. How many of us in this generation can say that's the desire of our heart? Wherever our heart is, there our treasures are. Whatever it is, whatever is manifesting in our life, love, joy, the fruits of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, legitimate manifestations of the Holy Spirit flowing through us, they should be an outflow and will be a natural byproduct as we continue to know Christ more and more. Ephesians 1.17, again, Paul speaking, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, comma, so that you may know him better. Guys, here's the challenging question that is on Father's heart in this season that he's asking every one of us, myself included, is where is the teaching to know Christ better? Where is our desire for discipleship? This is communion. What's on Father's heart is intimacy. He's calling the church to communion, to deep intimacy. 
If we look at Ephesians 4.11, we're going to keep rounding this out a little bit more, guys, so we get the broad picture of what's on Father's heart. He will always confirm his word. Any message or season, he will confirm in his word. Ephesians 4.11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers, comma, to equip his people for works of service. Why? I'm going to ask this. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The purpose of the different gifts and equippings and callings that each and every member of the body in Christ are given. Every, there are no spectators in the body of Christ. None of us were, desired, were designed to stay sheep. Every one of us are designed to walk in the fullness of Christ. That's why the different gifts were given, the different callings were given. We are meant to grow up into maturity and then pass those teachings down to the next generation of new believers, new converts, new people that accepted Christ as Savior. We're losing sight of that. Guys, we're losing sight of how the church is meant to function. And Father is calling us back to his heart. He's calling us to return to him. He's calling us to seek and understand him to seek teaching, to seek the milk of the word, to understand discipleship, to understand how to hear his voice, to, above all things, feel his heart throb. Jesus did nothing except what he saw Father God doing. Our mission in life, guys, is never to seek fruit. It's to know Jesus. It was the purpose of the eternal rescue plan of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was to reconcile us back to intimacy. And guys, going back to the confusion, right? Ephesians, we, led, we read Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Um, he, he gives the different gifts to re-reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 13 is key. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of doctrine and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemings. Guys, please consider this. Verse 13 discusses two different types of interactions that the body of Christ has. The first is winds of teaching. That is not a bad thing. It's the same word used to describe wind where Jesus says, who can perceive the wind or the movement of God? We have used that, that wind of doctrine means error, and we've linked these two parts of the verse. That's inaccurate. Wind of doctrine refers to seasons of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit bears witness with what Father is attempting to do through the church. The Holy Spirit never speaks of himself. He bears witness to us and tells us and desires to impart to us what Father wants to do. Those are winds of teaching. They are not meant to blow us around. I cannot tell you 
how grievous it is to the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit attempts to teach the body of Christ, attempts to mature us by sharing an aspect of the kingdom that we don't walk in, and instead we run with it and get into error because we have no intimacy with him. And we use the, the sound doctrines of the word to become an escape from our own pains and wounds and fears. And that's what, by and large, the body of Christ is doing in this generation, in this hour. We are taking the winds of teaching, and we are getting blown to and fro, and we have no peace. Now, the second part of that refers to false doctrine. The second part of that is where Satan can use a non-believer or a born-again believer. Just because someone teaches false doctrine doesn't mean they haven't accepted Christ. It means they're in error. Peter, before the foundations of the world, was called to be an apostle. Peter rejected Christ. Okay, some people say, well, he didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. Fair enough. How about in Galatians 2, where Paul says, I had to oppose Peter face to face because before the Gentile converts, excuse me, before the born-again Jews came, he was associating, I'm paraphrasing, with the Gentiles. But once the born-again Jews came, Peter began to estrange himself from the rest of the body of Christ. And I had to say, hey, you, Peter, you who live like a Gentile, why are you going back under the law? Now, was Peter a false apostle? By today's standards, we would have written him off. We absolutely would have written him off today. Uh, Paul's sharing something that's off. He, false, false, false apostle. False. That's because we're so afraid. We have no peace. We've lost the ability to discern because we're not being grounded in relationship with Christ. We're being blown about by, by the perceptions of the seasons that, are, that we're in or the seasons to come. Guys, it's not time for World War III. It's not time for it yet. There are seasons that are in place that must come to pass before his return. And, I, you know, we'll talk about this later on when, we, when you know, in other teachings, when deeper communities here, we're going to talk about prophecy. We're going to talk about the, 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 the function of the service of the prophetic calling in the body of Christ. We're going to talk about the different ways that the body is meant to minister. So I don't want to rabbit, rabbit trail too much into that. But one of the things the body of Christ needs to understand is the times and the seasons of things that are upon us, things that took place, and things yet to come. I spoke, uh, oh, I can't get into that. I'm not going to get into that. Guys, it's, it's the season to get to know him and to heal. That is the season that is birthed from his throne room. So here's the process, guys. As we begin to spend time with him, here's what's going to happen. As we begin to sit in his presence, as we begin to meditate on his love as we begin to confess scriptures about how he died for intimacy. And if we don't have them, uh, guys, I, I, I know Frank talks about this. It's a, it's a cornerstone of his teachings is Christ's love, the intimacy of Christ. I, I have a website, Zeal for Your House. I have a section of scriptural truths. They talk about our identity. They talk about his love. They talk about we're a new creation. Get the word in front of you guys. Begin to dig up the scriptures that talk about his love. Begin to meditate on the prodigal son. Begin to meditate on the woman 
caught in adultery. The woman where, remember, Jesus gave the law to Moses. Jesus was the only one perfect that could have stoned her. And we need to meditate on these things. We need to meditate on his interaction with the woman at the well, the one who had a perverted form of the gospel and mingled the northern tribes of the pagans with, with northern Christianity and Samaria, and they created this hybrid false doctrine. We need to meditate on the good Samaritan. Think about that verse, guys, that, that parable, the good heathen. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews because they were heathens. And yet Jesus, of all the parables, right, said the good heathen. It's about the love of God, the manifestations of the love that poured out for him, which remember, guys, Jesus only did what Father wanted to do. Father is not standing in heaven waiting to club us and waiting to club the lost, and Jesus is like holding him back, saying, just give me a little more time, Father. Just give me a little more time. Guys, we've been sold a bill of fearful goods. We have forsaken and forfeited our birthright. For some of us that have come to Christ during these times where the, the, the the, the, the exodus out of the institutional system and all the, the, the mess that the church government has gone through, the, the man, how we've substituted the kingdom of God. There is a kingdom with order in it. And then we're going to get into that in the weeks ahead too. There, God's kingdom is not a kingdom of chaos. There is order. There is structure. There are elders. There's a war room. There's a throne room. There is perfect order and structure. We saw a glimpse of it in the first century, a glimpse. It was a shadow of things yet to come. We substituted it with man-made structure. And so many of us, we had a mass exodus in the last 25 years, 30 years. And we're wandering nomads that have lost the ability to understand his heart because we, for some of us that have received Christ out in this wilderness, we've never even been told it. For many of you that will be listening, that this is the first time you're ever hearing it, it's a travesty. And I say that with all the love of the Father. He's calling his children to know him. There's no shame or condemnation in it. There's no judgment in it. The wrath of sin was satisfied on the cross. And I know this is grinding the gears for many of you. I can feel it. That's good. Because that dovetails into what happens when we begin communing? When we begin to sit at his feet, ask him what's on his heart. God, I, I'll tell you right now, he's not going to begin to talk to you about judgment and wrath. That's not on his heart. What's on his heart is you. He died for you. What's on his heart is he wants to lavish upon you the reality of his unconditional love and acceptance of you. He wants you to know the power of the resurrection. He wants you to know the power of the love that sent Jesus to die while you hated him. Colossians 1.19. As this happened, guys, here's the process. We're talking about how do we develop intimacy, communion, and healing. As we begin to sit on scriptures, as we begin to confess them and meditate them, as our spirit man begins to bear witness to the Holy Spirit confirming his word, our soul is not going to like it. 
it will not like it because we are not wounded in our spirits. We're wounded in our mind, will, and emotions. That's the definition of our soul. We're spirit beings that possess a soul, and we live in this temple until we're getting a glorified one. And it is our soul, our wounds and hurts and pains, that has the nerve to contend with what our spirit man knows because our spirit man houses the Holy Spirit. As that happens, we have a choice. We can either reject his word and begin to turn back to the doctrines that we choose to believe that soothe our fear and anger and indignation and pain, or we can begin to repent of them. Guys, if you ever hear the word repentance, which means to change, and we do not have direction on what we need to turn from and toward, it is an immature word. Whenever Holy Spirit moves through the church or an individual within the church and discusses repentance, the word repent is an action word. It's a verb. It means a course adjustment. Whenever we turn from something, we must turn toward his heart. And the first place the body of Christ needs to repent of is not our outward living. It is not. It is to repent of the thinking that runs contrary to his word. The scriptures say the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Guys, when we accept Christ into our spirit man, our thinking does not necessarily change. That is the process that takes place through intimacy. As we spend time with him, our soul is going to kick and fight and scream, and we're going to call God a liar, whether we admit it or not. We're going to say his word isn't true. And then we're going to begin to justify it. If that were true, then why dot, dot, dot. And Satan will attempt to get us to continue to partner with him through twisting the scriptures and twisting the nature of Jesus Christ to fit our perception that matches our fears and wounds of our earthly upbringing. That's what we have to give to God. Ephesians 4.16, go to Paul again. I pray that out of the glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The word heart means soul. This This is just, I just love this verse. I pray that of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's your spirit, man. Through the power of the Holy Spirit living in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your soul through belief. The word faith means to put a personal trust in. It was well beyond salvation, guys. That's the beginning. It does not end there. Verse 17, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
once again, the cry of Paul's heart speaking through the Holy Spirit is he's desiring for the church to know the love of God in our soul, in our mind, will, emotions, in our belief system. Then we will grasp the reality of his love. Guys, I implore you, he wants all of our heart. He does not want a relationship that is molded around the pain we are carrying. The church is fractured and broken and beaten. And we need to get back to seeking, spending time with him, meditating on his love. Guys, everything flows from the reality of love. Everything. Anything we discuss must be filtered through the lens of his nature. His love is all-consuming. Now, okay, so, here's what I just heard. Some of you was grinding your gears, and does that mean that we can go on to whatever we want? Guys, I've said this before, um, it, that's a foolish argument. No one who's tuning in to listen to this broadcast is interested in trying to see how much they could sin. And the reality is, if you do, that is the desire of someone's heart. Guess what? God loves us in our sin. He loved us before we accepted him. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Galatians 6, 8 makes it very clear that if we sow to sin and selfish living and sow and partner with Satan in his kingdom, we're going to get beat up. We're going to have miserable lives. Guys, here's the reality of it. Much of the church is living miserable lives because in our thinking, we continue to sow to the demonic realm. When we contend with the nature of God's love for us and for the lost, when we are praying and asking for him to come back and judge those that he died for, for many of us, it's not rooted in love. But the gospel is known as the gospel of reconciliation. That gospel must begin to be rooted in our hearts through faith, through belief. The church is being invited into the season to truly begin to know Jesus the way Jesus knew the Father while on the earth. Guys, it's not impossible. It's what the new covenant's all about. We've got to stop living under the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Adamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Israeli covenant. We're not in those covenants. We are in the new covenant, the fulfillment of all things to come. Now, Jesus hasn't returned yet, so there's more things yet to take place in his eternal timeline. But the new covenant is the only covenant where the Holy Spirit, his love, lives in us by covenant right. No other covenant gave us citizenship in heaven. Guys, we need to embrace who we are as his children. We need to begin to reject the lies that Satan has living, the fear, the unforgiveness, the pain, the thinking that God is angry with us and that he's interested in performance. Jesus did not walk on the earth focused on his performance. Jesus was love manifested. He was the word made flesh. He was the nature and father manifested in the physical realm. And that love naturally manifested the heart of the father. That's what we're supposed to walk in. Let's go around 
doing people? How do I act? How do I do? It's not about actions, guys. It's about getting to know the one who loves you more than you know. As that happens, pains are going to come up, and Holy Spirit's going to say, okay, David, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to choose to accept what my word says about you, or are you going to continue to agree with Satan's lies? Are you going to continue to live carnal-minded after the demonic realm? Guys, there's, there's no gray. There is no gray in our walk. We either are agreeing with a demonic kingdom, right? I'm, I'm saying that kind of starkly. That's the reality of it. We kind of tone it down and we excuse it. It's demonic. Anything that opposes the kingdom of God is demonic. It was instituted at the fall in the garden, and it lives everywhere we reject God's word for us. And so as, as painful it will be, as it will be to have the courage to say God is true and every man is a liar, my parents, my parental figures, uh, the pastors that I sat under, the elders that abused me, my fellow Christians that judged me, the other Christians that are in error, the other Christians that talk that are self-righteous and hypocritical. I forgive them. I love them. Well, how do we love them? Well, we're only going to love them to the degree that we know Father is love, that he loves us. That has to be rooted in our heart. He's calling us to that in this hour, guys. If our focus, well, let's go to Romans 12.2. We're wrapping this up here. Romans 12.2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Guys, you ever think about that? What was the joy set before Jesus that allowed him to endure the shame and the scorn, the spiritual separation from Father, and the physical torture? What was the joy set before him? Guys, the joy set before Jesus that allowed him to endure the spiritual and physical agony was you. Amen. Intimacy with you. And that's why it says we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Remember the word, the word faith, guys, means personal trust. We need to return to that. For many of us, it's not a returning. It's the beginning of a journey. And that is okay. It's the season for it. No one's behind. There is a season of grace that is upon the church to perfect us to maturity. Guys, there's things to come. There are seasons yet to come. Father's kingdom is about, we we are meant to be about our father's business. We have business to do. There's lost that need to hear the message. The Great Commission was never rescinded. The Commission of Matthew 2018 is until his return. We don't care because we don't know how much he loves us. There's no shame in that. There's no condemnation in that. We just don't know. There's many of you out there that that grew up in the wilderness, grew up in the exile. It was never meant to be this way. A father is faithful. And there's a call going out to gather his church back to himself to set up kingdom structure, 
to set up true fellowship, true intimacy, to understand the depth and height and love of his nature for you, then everything out of that is a byproduct, guys. Guys, if we're focusing more on prophecy fulfilled, his second coming, the Nephilim, politics, Antichrist. Remember when, when Obama was the Antichrist? He was going to be the last president? Guys, I can go on for an hour. I could go on forever about the, the winds of doctrine and the deceitful teachings of man that have tossed you about back and forth. And Father God is angry on your behalf over what the devil has done to his church. He's not angry, man. He is fuming at the devil, and he's calling his church to his throne room. We don't need to focus on all these things. Remember, Ephesians 4, winds of teaching. A teaching is not bad. If it's of the Holy Spirit imparting something, giving us revelation, insight, okay, take that information, tuck that in your pocket. How does that point you to greater intimacy? If it doesn't, you can't make any connection. How is this helping me to know the reality of his love, the depth of his love, the strength and power of the Holy Spirit? How is this helping me to have Christ dwell in my heart powerfully through faith? Guys, if we can't answer that question, take that doctrine, take that teaching, and put it on the shelf for now. Store it in the back burner when it's time to retrieve it in a way that you will be seasoned and able to know how it applies in your, in your, your walk at the right time. We're to keep our eyes on Jesus, the reality of his love, intimacy. So the application. <clears throat> now I'm closing this out, guys. The application. We need to give God permission. We'll need God's permission. Uh, you know, we have to begin to ask the Lord to show us what areas of our soul that we're still carrying anger, hurt, disappointments, disappointments with God, unanswered prayer, expectational hurt, unresolved issues. Many of them were received as a child, and they just Satan continued to partner with us, and our belief system continued to strengthen in these demonic lives. We have no value. We have no worth. God's an angry God. He's schizophrenic. Loves us. He hates us. Loves us. He's angry with us. We need to begin to take those things and dare have the boldness. The power of the Holy Spirit is in your inner being. Ephesians 4.16. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner being. It has the power to change our souls. That's the process of Romans 12, too. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Intimacy is the invitation that allows our minds to change, and that transforms us into his nature. And, guys, what that looks like, as we begin to repent, right, going back to repent, change of direction. As we let go of these lives, as we begin to meditate on his love, Satan will do everything to get you to hold on to a demonic belief system. Well, don't forget about this works. Don't forget about that. Make sure you're good. He will always get you outwardly motivated because the outward man works is dead. The spirit of Pharisee is rampant in the body of Christ today. And here's the, the most tragic thing about it, guys. It's through the most broken, beaten, 
fearful, dejected people that the spirit of Pharisee is hovering over. Because we've been told that God's angry and that we better outwardly change our acts. And guys, that's backwards. Go back to the Gospels. Jesus rebuked. The word rebuke in the Greek is the strongest word. There's no English equivalent without getting real nasty. Jesus said, you are whitewashed tombs. You do everything perfect. Inside, you're dead. And we have to stop embracing that line of thinking and embrace that he died for intimacy. So we spend time with him. We begin renewing our mind. When that happens, shoot, everything is going to kick up. And when that does, we repent of that thinking and we begin to develop a new mindset. We begin to see ourselves the way he sees us. We begin to see him the way Jesus manifested his earth ministry. This is knowing and being one with him, guys. David, I have a quick question, um, knowing you're coming to the very end. And and uh, even if we go a few minutes over, I, I really want you to answer this, if you could, because I feel this is, you know, some of the things you're talking about, this is, it's hard for people to understand. It was hard for people to understand uh, what Paul was speaking about because he was trying to get at the deeper part of it. You know, people get so worried when you talk about the love of God because they automatically think, well, is he saying we can live how we want? And that, that has nothing to do with the teaching. But, David, I want you to address, if you could, for a moment, about the person that's out there struggling uh, to do right, to overcome whatever sin it is. And, and there's this every day the struggle to do the right thing, but inside there's this feel of they can never obtain in a, in a brokenness. How can understanding God's love change and do what the other cannot do? Oh, Frank, thank you for asking. That is a fantastic question. Um, and it's addressed, I mean, well, let's start with Romans 2. Um, Romans 2 says, do you, do you not know, do you despise his long suffering and his goodness, not knowing that it's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance? Nowhere in the, in the, in the New Covenant, in the New Covenant, nowhere does it instruct us to focus on the outward man. If we took, would take a highlighter and read every epistle filtered through the Gospels, the love and holiness of Jesus, we will look at everything that talks about transforming our mind. There isn't a single epistle written that does not address the mind. Because God knows it is our mind that causes us to sin in the garden. Adam sought identity apart from God. And today we're doing the same thing. We, we accept, okay, I'm, 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 I've accepted the gift of salvation. I won't accept that I'm righteous. I'll accept the byproduct of salvation. And now I'm going to attempt to find identity and worth in how well I can perform. And the answer to that is always Understanding his love and his goodness is what empowers us to change. It is always the answer. It says, right, we talked about some of the scriptures. We keep our eyes focused on Christ. Whatever is pure, what is lovely, what is holy, whatever is good report, meditate on these things. Nowhere does it say to meditate on our sin because we cannot overcome sin 
by the strength of our will and soul. We are not soul beings. Guys, we are spirit beings, and we are meant to live a life flowing from the kingdom of God. And as the kingdom of God rises up in us through our, through our communion, it changes our thinking. And as we change our thinking, sin becomes more and more um, abhorrent to us. It becomes more and more repulsive. The problem we, we experience in our brokenness is that sin is repulsive to us, not because we have a revelation of his holiness, not because we've stood before the throne room and we've been transformed into his very image so that sin itself is repulsive and we want to push it away. That's the way it's meant to be. But what happens is sin is repulsive to us because we identify ourselves with the sin. We say, I'm doing this action. I'm repulsive. And so it's self-hatred. And we call it a hatred for the sin, but it's really self-hatred. And that will never transform us. For, for, for those that are listening out there to, to, to round this out and put a head on it, guys, love, love will always create holiness. It's not holiness or love. God is a perfectly holy God, and he is love. We don't teach on that. We teach it's one or the other. We're the excessive grace camp or we're the legalistic camp. And, and depending upon our, where we've been abused and beaten, we run from one camp to the other. The reality, guys, is that the perfection of God lives inside of you. And the more we tap into his love, the more we will change our thinking and the desires of our heart will change. The deliverance of the kingdom begins to manifest down out of our spirit out through our mind, our will, our emotions. He transforms us. For many of us, because we don't know how much he loves us, that idea is too scary. We do not trust him. We trust ourselves to try to change ourselves. And it's rebellion against the kingdom. We will never change ourselves by trying to do the right thing, by trying not to uh, get into pornography, trying not to swear, trying not to smoke excessively or drink or whatever, whatever the sin is that we perceive is most grievous to God. Colossians 1.21 says we've been made holy and blameless and righteous in his eyes. Guys, you're, the sin that you may struggle with will never change the fact that you've been granted by the gift of the cross, perfection in his eyes. That is not a license to sin. It's an understanding that sin can never change how he sees you. As we begin to embrace that, we begin to feel the presence of his holiness. We begin to feel the resonance of his love. As we spend time with him and we start to change our thinking, what we will literally heighten is our spiritual senses. That's why Paul says, I pray you would know his love. Because there's a frequency. Now, I'm going to use the word frequency. And for those who get freaked out, hey, the devil just keeps stealing terms and words. And he steals. And what happens is when he steals, we forfeit that aspect of the kingdom. So we're stripped with nothing but fear and legalism. Right? But heaven operates in a spirit realm with spiritual senses. And the reality of God's love resonates inside our spirit, man. But our soul won't receive it. Guys, if our hearts were flooded with the love of God, 
we would run from sin because there's not a single part of our being that would want it. That's how we are transformed. And that takes trust and it takes time spending time in his presence and trusting him in the process. Did that help, Frank? Did I did I say what I'm trying to no, say? No, it, it's it's perfect, and and folks, it just adds on to some you know what I've tried to share many through the years is God never called you to fight directly with your sin. The way we resist the devil is by seeking the Lord. You don't fight him directly one on one. I mean, even the angels the when when they were having the the. Uh, uh, the this dispute over the body of Moses, you know, the angel said, the Lord rebuke you. Okay. The, the way we seek and have victory over sin is by seek ye first the kingdom of God. Yeah. Stop yeah. fighting your sin and start seeking the Lord. It is the most difficult concept in all of Christianity for people to grasp a hold of. Yet it is the most liberating, freeing thing to understand that your God loves you so much that he endured the sufferings of cross for the prize that was laid up before him, meaning you were a gift that was worth suffering for. That's love that's uncomprehendable. You didn't deserve it, and he did it anyways. David, thank you for this, because I... Feel so many people, listen, I believe in holy living and living right and doing the right thing, but it is unattainable in the flesh. Yeah. It's completely unattainable. No, it's meant to be a byproduct of our intimacy. Yes. You know, my dad used to always say, son, he said, your faith, it's the boat going down the, the river. He said, your works, that's the wake that comes off the back. It's natural. Mm, that's good. It happens automatically. That's good. You, you know, and so those are the things we do that happen because of our following God with all of our heart. And and folks, when you understand how much your father loves you, what his son, the agony that they went through together. I mean, imagine watching your own child. At the hand of those who you came to save, hang you on a cross. I mean, can you, I can't even understand that kind of a feeling. And yet, the Lord says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's not a single one of us on the earth here that wouldn't be calling down fire from heaven. And Jesus says, forgive them. Wow, that's, that's heavy. That's love. David, thank you. I know that you, this is through the years. This is, you know, since I first heard you of understanding and that I am somebody in Christ. I am somebody in Christ. I'm nobody Amen. in this world, but in Jesus, I'm somebody. And, and, and that changed me because I used to get all my value from people until I learned how to get it from God. And I want to. I just praise the Lord for that. And you really helped me to see that. I thought I had. A, I thought I knew a lot until the Lord had a. I had my own coming to Jesus moment uh, <laughs> when I learned that I had a real issue that I needed to get my value and find out who I was in Jesus. So, brother, thank you. God bless you. 
And um, thank you, Frank. Pleasure is on. Thank you. Amen, folks. This uh, this is what it, I know. Sometimes it can be a struggle to understand this thing. This is what Peter was talking about when he's saying sometimes things Paul said were difficult because we have these preconceived notions of how we are to do and to live. And, and trust me, nobody's ever saying anything less than holy living on this program. David believes in the same thing, but it's how we obtain it. And it's not going to be obtained in the flesh. It will The flesh will follow if the Spirit gets in communion with God. And the soul that becomes one with the Lord, that, then your flesh will naturally... It's like this saying I love so very much. When the day this man said it to me, he said, I don't drink because the church says don't drink. He says, I drink all that I want. I just don't want to drink those things anymore. Because he had a change of heart. He had a change of heart. I just love that saying. He was not, not drinking just because the church he attended said you shouldn't drink. He wasn't drinking because he had a change. He didn't want to do it. Because his father didn't want him to do it. I just felt that was a, I just love that. And so, brother, God bless you. Thank you all for tuning in here tonight. I'm looking forward to part two of Deeper Communion. Folks, this is where it's at. It's knowledge in and of itself of the times that we're living in is a good thing if it wakes us up. But if we don't have Deeper Communion, then there will be a lot of wide-awake people that are surprised on Judgment Day because they never took time to get to know their Lord. And all he wants to do is get to know us to be with us. He already knows us, but he wants it one-on-one to be personal, to say, hey, you know what? We have a real relationship. Brother David, God bless you and everything you do in your ministry. And I'm going to ask that you could just close this show out with a word of prayer. Thank you, Frank. Father, I thank you that you loved us while we hated you that you began the redemptive plan, the plan to reconcile us back to great deep intimacy from the moment Adam and Eve sinned. And you shed those first animal's blood as a type and shadow that spanned over generations that has been fulfilled in the new covenant. Father, I thank you for a revelation of your immense love to begin to crack through the lies and the pain that we would have a hunger to read of your nature in the Gospels. Lord, I thank you for the revelation of understanding that you are a holy and loving God, that it is your nature, that it is your goodness and a revelation of you that transforms your church. Father, I thank you for the courage of all those listening that, that are saying right now that want to dare to believe Lord, that you would open up to them the resources of your word, the teachings about their identity, that they have been made holy and blameless, that the righteousness of Christ is our identity. Or that is the, the foundation, the backbone of, our, of who we are, that everything comes from. I pray that blessing and that revelation is poured out on the church in this hour. That everyone listening, Father God, is just has a hunger to seek what it means to be positionally righteous, that then we would begin to live relationally righteous as a byproduct 
Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for a word in season. I thank you that you gave us the, the gift of you, Holy Spirit, that we would commune in power and intimacy, not tossed back and forth by doctrines, Lord God, and by deceit. Bless them, Lord God, with all blessings in Christ Jesus. I speak a mantle of peace upon the body of Christ in this audience, Lord God. My brothers and sisters, thank you for Frank. Speak blessings over his family, blessings over all that he sets his hand to, Lord God. Thank you for living in a land where we can freely share your word and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless each one of you. This is Brother Frank and Brother David Murray on the Remnant Call saying good night and shalom. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.